Hi, it's Delegate Mike McKay, District 1C, serving Allegheny and Washington counties. You're listening to my go-to source for news and insight on Maryland policy and politics, the Conduit Street Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing okay. We are obviously well into session now. The bills are rolling in. Yeah, feeling it. Feeling it for sure. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about the supercharged school construction bill. Michael, we don't normally like to talk about bill numbers and bore people with all that jazz, but that shouldn't be a problem here, right? Yeah, we we're, we're always worried that if we get into the weeds too much and we talk about House Bill 1318, and Senate Bill 954, that that clutters up the language of a podcast. Right. But this bill seems like it's easy to talk about the bill number because it's House, House bill, bill 1. one. Senate, Senate Bill 1. one. Right. This is. The, <laughs> okay. The, you don't have to write that one down. Right. right. The Built to Learn Act. And this is obviously priority in both the House and the Senate. In fact, we knew this would be House Bill 1, Michael, I think back in the fall. Right. Yeah. Like this was no surprise. Yeah. This, uh, Speaker Jones made it clear that this is going to be a big priority. She, she, I think, exerted some leverage to bring the Senate to, to the table and have it, have them make it a similar priority. So that's what we see from legislators. Uh, that's not always the case. They don't always queue up certain bills at the beginning of the count. Uh, but this year, it was a very orchestrated effort. Big bill, a lot of lot of circumstance and pomp and all that sort of thing. Big hearing happening today. Uh, we're recording on Thursday. And so the big public hearing in the House happening today, a lot of attention on school construction. We thought it deserved some here too. And of course, counties are very much invested in school construction, and that's because we share responsibility with the state, right? And the state's funding formula under current law depends on statutory formulas and regulations. But Michael, this partnership, Maryland is really seen as a leader in the way that we do school construction. Yeah, the, the state plays a big role here, both on the technical side of having expertise to guide and oversee projects, but also in showing up, uh, deciding what projects are ready to go and right. showing up with, with state funding for for a part of those. And I don't think we're going to get too deep today into the the formulas and the mechanics, but there are a couple pieces of that that are relevant because this bill gives some new flexibility and, and is, is some generous in some ways that we haven't seen before. So it's a really big bill. I mean, it seems like every year Mako is at the table and saying, look, we have all these shovel-ready projects to go in, in counties, but the state doesn't have the funding, doesn't have the resources to provide that that matching fund, right? And so yeah. we're there every year saying this is a top priority, and I think we're finally going to get something that is very, very good for both the state and for the counties, and we'll make sure that we're able to get these projects off the ground. Right, and I think, I mean, the counties aren't alone in this, but I think county government leaders, as well as school board leaders and and the superintendents and principals at the school level are all really sensitive to, you need a modern facility mm-hmm. for modern learning. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've got too many schools that are really substandard. They're too old. They don't have the latest technology, but even all the way down to adequate drinking water and right. heating and right. other things like that. So, okay, you know, this, this is a big effort. And 
it's been a centerpiece issue. Like you say, for Mako, we go through a process every year, picking our top issues. And, you know, we get 30, 40, 50 submissions every year and narrow it down to a few. And almost every year, keep the pedal to the metal on school construction because we've got lots of projects ready to go just waiting for state dollars. That's right. That's been almost every year it makes our list. Okay, so let's talk about the Built to Learn Act. Again, this is really a supercharged Big omnibus bill. But, Michael, essentially, this bill leverages casino money uh, to build schools. And let's talk about first, I guess, the lockbox, right? Yeah. We now have a lockbox that's promised in the state constitution and school funding or school funding and school construction. These are now acceptable uses of the money that goes into the education trust fund. Right. So a little bit of debate, but not much pushback in the legislature when they decided to make sure that school construction mm-hmm. was one of the items that was okay to be used in this education trust fund. So, so not just the operating costs. Right. So when, when, when we went to the ballot and, and Maryland voters approved this change in the Constitution, we said we want all this casino money going into an education trust fund to be money that's above and beyond the commitments that we already had in place when we authorized the casinos. Right. So the, the sort of Thornton formula and the vanilla formula for, for school construction, that's not really a year-by-year formula, but we want this money to be new money, not supplanting general funds, which is mm-hmm. in practice what had happened. So when voters approved that, uh, it sort of came in four waves, $125 million for each of the first three years, and right. then it gets to the full amount, which is in the neighborhood of five hundred. Right. Um, so the idea here is school construction is one of the appropriate uses for money in this lockbox. The voters want to see an extra commitment to education. We know every year the counties are beating, beating us up saying, look at all these school projects that are ready to go. If only the state could commit to its share. Right. I mean, on average, since 2009, the state has left more than 300 million on the table. And, and, right? and sometimes, a money. sometimes a ton more than right, that, right. but but it's, it's usually hundreds of millions of projects. And some of those are whole new schools. Some of them are replacements of, of old schools, and a lot of them are just like big systemic projects, and old, you know, a forty-year-old school right. that can be can be energized for another fifteen years if it just gets a new, you know, ventilation system and some new roofing and the wiring and stuff that all goes with that. Right. So, um, you know, like there's a lot of stuff in the queue and we all know it. Okay. So we talked about the lockbox casino money and, and obviously we're leveraging that casino money to build schools. This is done, Michael, through revenue bonds. And I want to get into the difference between revenue bonds and general obligation bonds. Talk about the, the difference there and why revenue bonds are being used as the financing plan for this bill. So here we are teetering on maybe <laughs> being even too wonky oh, for our Conduit Street listeners. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. All right. So we'll, We'll try and keep this approachable. Uh, First of all, um, the difference between the operating budget, which is sort of spending cash for the stuff we're doing and buying today, Mm -hmm. and the capital budget is a different set of spending. It's basically projects, buildings, and so forth that are going to have a long, useful life. Right. And we generally purchase those things. For the most part, we do it with bond proceeds. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're looking for like a policy rationale for why do that, I mean, the the state government has cash and in theory could build a building with cash. Mm-hmm. Um, pay go, right? That would right, be yeah, pay as you go. And we, we tend to abbreviate as P-A-Y go, mm-hmm. pay, pay go. Mm-hmm. So um, you theoretically 
could do these things with cash, but there is a policy argument that if you are buying a long-term asset, like a building on a college campus, mm-hmm. you're building a new prison, um, you know, you're building something that's going to have a, you know, a generation long use right. to have the taxpayers right at the moment that you break ground, pay all the cash for it and, and bear that burden in that moment kind of misses a generational equity where if you borrow the money and pay it over off for some stretch of time, you share that burden across people who benefit from the service. A new library serves people for 10, 20, 30, right. 40 years, right? right? So you want to make sure everybody's just not paying up front and people down the road are burdened evenly, so to right. speak. I mean, the, the easiest parallel is like a mortgage for your home. You don't, you know, if, if you've got, if you want to make a commitment and purchase a home for your family, you don't necessarily sit and wait until you've saved up every penny so you can buy the home in cash. Right. You make a commitment that I'm going to pay for this over a period of time. I want to live in the home. Now, fine. Okay. So most of us get our first home through a mortgage, sure. borrow the money, and then in a mortgage, you put up the home as collateral for the loan. State won't do that, but instead makes a pledge. We say the state of Maryland puts its full faith of credit behind general obligation bonds. We get AAA bond ratings from the people who do that kind of analysis. Mm -hmm. That means the people who buy our bonds don't demand particularly high interest because they know they're low risk. We're a good credit state. And that's the way we ordinarily do bonds. We say we'll float bonds and we'll put behind it all of our taxes, all of our revenue raising capacity. Maryland promises you're going to get paid off if you buy our bonds. And so those are general obligation bonds. Yeah. So that's the vanilla way to do bond projects, including schools. Mm -hmm. And virtually everything has been done through general obligation bonds for a long time. Right. Transportation is different. Sometimes you build roads using revenues that come from the bridge tolls or other Mm -hmm. things like that. But in the main, this is a matter of general obligation bonds. Sure. This bill is thinking outside the box. And this bill is saying... You know, if we just took a piece of that casino money that we know it's going to ramp up to 500 million or thereabouts, and it's in the constitution, it's got to be used for education. So it's already kind of spoken for. It's outside of the vagaries of the year to year appropriations process. Right. So since we've already got that money, what if we took a piece of that? Let's take 125 this year and for the future Mm -hmm. and let's Let's get a bond today and say we'll pay $125 million in debt service on the bond. We could probably get a giant pile of cash right, right away and go do a bunch of education projects. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody's out there saying we got projects that are unmet needs. Uh, some of the larger jurisdictions have themselves just, you know, one county by one county will tell you they've got numbers in the billions of projects that are queued up right. and, and like they already know they have a shortfall in their needs. Mm-hmm. So if you say we're going to leverage 125 million and you pledge casino revenues only, then you're saying this is a revenue bond. We don't pledge that you're going to get our income tax or our property tax. What we pledge to you is that the re- the casino revenues are going to be used for this. But it's a dedicated revenue stream, right? Right. right. And it's fenced off in the Constitution. Exactly. And I think exactly. that will be looked upon favorably when these bonds get rated by the Moody's and Standard & Poor's outfits. Okay. So, I mean, typically general obligation bonds, you, you get a really good interest rate. We're in a good environment right now where the interest rates would be low. Yes, we definitely are. How does that differ with a with a revenue bond. 
hard to say. Right. I, w- I would think uh, the full faith and credit pledge is stronger and more ironclad than this revenue is probably going to be here, but you get that revenue and even and there should be more than we need. But I think, as you said, I mean, this being enshrined in the Constitution and being fenced off, that's got to help your case, right? right? When you say well, you should buy these bonds. Yeah. So in, in general, the more you put behind your bonds, the more assurances you're giving the bondholder and therefore con- you, they, they demand a lower interest rate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these may be a click or two higher than a general obligation. Bond, but it's not like we're going to be borrowing at like Chicago's rates. Right. Okay, we're not. We're not. We're not doing that. Okay. So we're <laughs> so we're pledging this money for thirty years, Michael. What do we get in return for pledging that money for thirty years? Well, we get a bunch. Um, yeah. So if a typical year for school construction uh, for the state contribution is they show up with something like four hundred million dollars mm-hmm. out of a billion dollars or so capital budget, right? Typical year about four hundred goes for school construction. Then the county show up with their share and you end up building a billion, a billion and a half dollars worth of schools. Mm-hmm. The idea is, hey, at this 125 a year for 30 years, you can leverage about over $2 billion like in the short term, like have this money in cash ready to go in the next couple of years. So it's a quick ramp up. Yeah. So so this will be an extra layer of school construction investments on top of what we're already doing, mm-hmm. leveraging this casino money through revenue bonds and doing it for 30-year bonds, which is actually a longer duration than we we usually do uh, 15-year bonds at the state level, almost always 15-year bonds. That's been a long-standing practice. This is a special 30-year extension. Um, that's part of the way you get the big multiplier there. Sure. I mean, so nuts and bolts. I mean, this legislation is responding to many recommendations that Maryland counties have made for the state program You know, over the past several years. First of all, it provides a robust state funding commitment to school construction. That is always one of the first few sentences in our initial when we show up at the table, right? Yeah, I mean, Keep the pedal to the metal. Yeah, two billion plus is a move the needle kind of effort, mm-hmm. and if that's really what this turns into, I mean, the you know the the bill speaks to the number two point two billion as everybody's working guess as to what the, we think this might generate sure. in the bond market. Uh, that would be a really impressive figure, and we know jurisdictions are already out there saying, okay, what are we ready? You know, what are we ready to do our share of? Right, right. Do we have the technical expertise to handle? three projects in the next five years when we might not have been doing them that fast. But hey, if the state's ready to be a willing partner, let's get ready to dance. Well, I mean, speaking of technical expertise, this also provides technical support for smaller counties who may not have those resources that maybe some of the larger ones do. So we're making sure that the state is still showing up and saying, hey, we can help you with all this stuff. We'll make sure you have the technical needs covered plus the cash. Right. And and without getting too detailed in this, an interesting thing here is a few years ago, the state set up a special school construction investment in the city of Baltimore right. where they had a number of old schools that were in need of full out replacing or you know wholesale renovation and the Maryland Stadium Authority was brought in as an agent to sort of oversee a lot of those projects as sort of a you know one of the legs of a three-legged stool sure and by and large, people are pleased with that relationship. I think the city feels like the stadium authority has been a positive entity and they've built some expertise in doing these kinds of projects. Absolutely. So it would be dumb to leave their expertise sitting on the shelf if we can leverage their skills and get them 
up to Cecil County or out to Howard County or down to Prince George's County and help out with projects here and there. They've got expertise that they can add, and we'd be dumb not to continue to leverage that. So that's in this bill, too. Jurisdictions who want to partner through the stadium authority, they can be sort of the managing entity, and that could be that could be a help unto itself. Sure. And this, this bill also does provide for a more equitable split of these costs between the state and the counties. That's also something that Mako talks a lot about. We hear that from counties across the state. We want to make sure that this is equitable across the state and that the state is working in partnership with the counties to get these projects done. I think, I mean, I think that sets the table for the general premise for this big bill. Uh, as we said, today is the bill hearing. Uh, the House Appropriations Committee is talking through the bill. The conversation is starting. This is probably going to continue through the session. Right. Uh, but the, this is a big, ambitious framework on a topic that everybody cares about. Um, a really big deal. Absolutely it is. And one more thing about the bill's prospects as we're looking for this. We, we talked about the speaker saying this is going to be House Bill 1 this year, and it's Senate Bill 1 also. So that's an indication of legislative leadership being really invested and engaged on this. Right. Let's also note that the governor had a bill very similar to this last year and has embraced a lot of this structure. So the governor being on board and every jurisdiction having something to come to the table for, I think probably puts an even brighter prospect on this bill. It made it out of the House last year with bipartisan support. The Senate may have been thinking timing rather than substance. So for this year, with the governor still saying it's a good idea, with legislative leaders saying it's a good idea, and with jurisdictions across the state all talking about how this fits their needs, I think the likelihood of House Bill 1, Senate Bill 1, getting to the governor's desk, getting signed, and being something that Maryland can be proud about soon, pretty high. This is John Frenet with Ion Annapolis to let you know about our daily news brief podcast. If you want to keep up on Annapolis area local news, local weather, and local events, check us out. We produce episodes every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and deliver them right to your phone or computer for free. You can also catch them on our Facebook page, All Annapolis, or under the podcast category at ionanapolis.net. You can even ask Alexa to play it for you. So if you want to keep up to speed on Mayor Buckley, County Executive Pittman, Navy football, maybe you're looking for a weekend thing to do, or if you just want to catch the hyper-local weather, give a listen to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson. We are talking about the supercharged school construction bill, the Built to Learn Act. Michael, we've gone through the numbers. We know that this is a really quick ramp up of funding, almost doubling the state's commitment for five years, $2.2 billion. So let's start to get into some of the, the more technical aspects of this bill. And I first want to talk about Prince George's County. Now, they're down here today. County Executive Alsa Brooks is supporting this bill. She is enthusiastic. They're excited. But they do have a little bit different of a path when it comes to what this legislation is going to do for them. Definitely. And and in a bill that contains a number of interesting ideas and new approaches, mm -hmm. the Prince George's approach is probably the furthest outside the box. We got, you know, we got vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry, and now we got a scoop of pistachio too. Mm -hmm. Prince George's wants to pursue aggressively a number of public-private partnerships um, to, to build and renovate and even operate schools. Right. So that's that's been a focus of Prince George's County. They got a number of 
schools. When you look at their plan and what they judge needs to be done, right. you know, the, the number of schools in a big jurisdiction like Prince George's, especially a, a place that had a really big building wave in the 70s and into the 80s, right. a school that was built in 1975, oh, now suddenly that's, you know, that's working on 50 years old and you have system failures and you have a lot of needs in schools that were built around then. And, and all of those are coming due right about now. Yeah. Right? So, so, yeah. so this is coming at a good time for a jurisdiction like Prince George's. So they're thinking, okay, let's do an unconventional path. Uh, you know, probably, I don't know, I, I was reading through the bill. It's got to be six, eight, ten pages of new text that's all exclusive to Prince George's County. Right. I think it's too technical for us to get through in a lot of detail, but – Prince George's is going to be building some schools and they're going to be operating some schools that are going to look and feel different than your standard big wide hallway mason room, you know, stand like you drive by a lot of school buildings and you're like, that's a school. That's a school. That's a school. Right. right? It looks like, looks like the last school and then the next school. Right. Exactly. Now there's going to be a bunch of schools in Prince George's County that won't have that same obvious school look and feel Mm -hmm. inside and out. And, I mean, so this is, this is to some degree, it's almost a pilot project. One jurisdiction says, we're going to go this direction. We think we're going to be able to build a lot of excellent, you know, teaching and learning spaces quickly, satisfy a lot of need, get a lot of kids out of trailers and relocatable classrooms. Right. That's a big theme of this. Yeah. Right. So we're going to accomplish a whole lot of goals with that. Who knows what's going to happen five or 10 years from now, you might have jurisdictions around the state, you know, taking tours to Prince George's to say, you know, how did you guys do this? Yeah, we want to learn about this program. How, how did you, I mean, how did you manage to accommodate all these new seats in schools, you know, on, on, on a different budget and a different way than we did? So, you know, a lot of people may be down in Prince George's and sometime kicking the tires on this. I, I don't know that this model is going to work perfectly for everybody, but maybe we're doing it the right way. One jurisdiction, one wants to opt in big. So, okay, Prince George is going to be on a separate track, and that'll be really interesting to watch. Right. A lot of people will be watching what happens in Prince George's, but I think it's great that they were able to incorporate that idea, that outside-the-box thinking that they wanted to do into this bill and make everything work in harmony. That's, that's certainly a win for Prince George's County and for the state and for this bill. Let's talk about another nuts and bolts piece of this, Michael. Let's talk about eligible costs. And Typically, if you look at the spreadsheet and you see every single county, we do the cost share between the state and the counties, just like we do with school funding, operating funding, right? We base things on wealth. Right. And so you'll see a percentage county, a percentage state. So this is all about what the state is willing to pick up. Right. And you look at that percentage and you think, man, the state really, they, they pick up a lot of this money, right? right. I mean, when the, when the state runs the numbers on school construction for what's going to be the state share of your projects... Uh, those numbers range from 50% up into the 80-something, even 90-something percent. Right. So on the surface, that might sound like, oh, a $50 million elementary school and your county is a an 80% state funding county. Oh, it must be $40 million from the state, $10 million from the county. That's a great deal. We're good to go. Right. Well, okay, not so fast. Right. <laughs> right. Of course. There's so, always a catch, Yeah. Right? Okay. Well, it's, I mean, this what this does make some sense, mm-hmm. but it's, it's worth walking through, number one. One, in understanding how school construction here works today, but number two, because we're, again, looking outside the old box in this particular area as a part of this bill. Mm -hmm. So the way we do this today is the state basically has 
a recipe for a school and it is the really basic recipe. Like, you know, like their macaroni and cheese is macaroni and cheese. Right. That's it. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no crab meat in there. There's no broccoli. There's no, you know, with no garlic. Yeah, and none of those nice r- crazy spices. R- r- yeah, exactly. Like exactly. No, right. That's plain, fine. So, plain. so their, their version is the state will participate in this range of costs based on this size of school driven by the population count that you see this school serving by, you know, some years into its useful lifespan, Mm -hmm. which is, which is not a ridiculous model. And those are the eligible costs. Right. right? So, so that's a term of art. If you work, if you're in the school business or you work in school construction and facility planning and so forth, eligible costs is a term that everybody understands. It's page after page after page in the code of Maryland regulations. Mm. And we're not going to try and explain all that stuff out, but basically, okay. You know, if you're building a high school for 1200 students, Here's how many square feet we think it needs to be. Right. And this is this is the amount of area that you're going to need for these various functions and so forth. You run the numbers. Here it is. The state pays X dollars per square foot. And now here it is. We think your high school is going to cost 61 million bucks. Mm-hmm. And then your community and your school board leadership are running, they're sitting and look at their actual blueprints right. and they're saying, well, at our high school, we were thinking we would have like a place where you could have a play mm-hmm. and we wanted to teach languages and industrial arts. And we wanted to have like three or four outdoor facilities, not just one outdoor facility. Right. And we wanted to be able to have some computer apparatus and laboratories and so forth. Like we want to have a modern school. We want to serve the needs of a modern education, mm-hmm. not necessarily a 1977 education. Mm-hmm. So we run the numbers. And when the state says, we think your school is a $61 million entity, we come up with, wow, that's 115. And that includes, well, we're going to have to like buy the land and then work the land over to get it graded properly and get it ready for stormwater collection and all, all, you know, site design and all that sort of thing that involves architects and engineers, all those sorts of things up front. And then the other costs in building the school that are above and beyond that, that macaroni and cheese. And that's it. So all of a sudden, if you're (laughs) in a county that gets 80% of your dollars from the state for school construction and you run those numbers, it's a lot different than 80%. Yeah. Right. It goes way down. So even if, even if, if you're that 80% county and it sounds like the, the state's going to be the major player on those numbers I just picked off the top of my head, which are reasonably representative, right. if the if the state template is 61 million and they're doing 80% of that, okay, that means they're doing like 48 or 49 million bucks. If the real cost of the projects are 115, suddenly the county is the senior partner in funding a project, even though they're supposed to be a 2080 county. Right. So the architecture, the engineering, the planning, consulting fees, all of that generally not eligible for funding under current law. This bill does give smaller counties a better deal on these eligible costs. Talk about that, Michael, and why this is an idea that really could catch fire. Yeah, actually, there was a there was a separate bill introduced last year, which had a good public hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of the, the case study in sympathy for a small jurisdiction who's got a big project that they needed to support. And even though they're small, it's a Caroline County school project. And you take a look at what Caroline has had to go through to pick up their end of the deal for their latest school project 
it is overwhelming. Right. I mean, the cost of one school is, I think it's as large as or even larger than the entire annual budget for Caroline County. Right. Their government. operating budget, this right. exceeds <laughs> just this one elementary school that is right. in desperate need of repair. They need a new school, but right. doing this is such an enormous lift. Right. right. So, so you've got a place like Caroline County, not exactly like tax and spend bright blue on the map. You know, that's not exactly what Caroline County is. They're, they're elected officials nor their residents, and they went to the max on their income tax rate right. in the name of, we've got to build a new school. We need to find the revenues to do it. So they've gone to the 3.2% income tax limit. You don't think of Caroline County being the place to do that, no. but they, they got nowhere else to go. They had to do it, right? Yeah. That, and that got them some additional state money. It helped out a bit. Right. But but it, it is an enormous right. lift for a smaller jurisdiction without that tax capacity to build one school. Right. right? We're talking about one school. Right. So, so last year the Appropriations Committee heard Delegate Greist, who represents and he lives in Caroline County, mm -hmm. he was talking about like we should we should find a way to be a little more flexible and cut a better deal for these these tiny jurisdictions. And you know, if they have to pick up a hundred percent of these things like architect and engineering costs, they're gonna end up not being able to do these projects even when the state's ready to go. Right. And then we fail them. Mm -hmm. So so his bill got substantially picked up and incorporated into the bill they passed last year, and now it's in the introduced bill here. The idea being for your smaller school districts. This isn't the Montgomery's and the Baltimore cities and Baltimore counties of the world, right? But it's the Carolines and then the Kents and Somerset, the, yeah, yeah. Right, but the, the most of the shore counties, basically up to Wicomico, I think might be the largest school system. It's if you have twenty thousand or fewer students in your school system, mm -hmm. you get a better deal on projects that are funded through this program. So, so this big, we're going to supercharge and throw 200 yard you know, over, over $2 billion short term at school projects. The small jurisdictions who get a project, we're going to split all those soft costs up front, the architect engineering, those sorts of things that right now are a hundred percent locally, locally funded. Mm -hmm. We're going to make those eligible for a state share. And if you're a 50, 50 County, we'll do half. If you're, if you're an 80, 20 County, the, the state will do 80%. Which, which is a huge deal. I mean, these costs right. can, they, they can be 10% of the entire project. So as you're saying, if you're going to make all this money available, but then tell some of these smaller jurisdictions, you need to pay these, all these other fees that aren't eligible. It's not going to work for them, regardless of how much money you have sitting out there ready to go. So right. this is an innovative idea right. that's really going to help these smaller counties. Right. And I mean, but I think you got exactly to it. The last thing you want to do is have this be the generational effort on school construction to try and clear the deck right. of projects that are ready to go. And lo and behold, you end up with like five small counties who say, well, we have a project, but we have a we have a local debt limit that's written, you know, that, 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 that that's adopted by ordinance sure. and we you know we we can't we can't exceed this whatever you know this number we'd love so to do it but we can't come up with our 46 million on that project in part because we have to pick up every penny of the cost for all those front things you know for us to have to do the site design and architecture and engineering costs it just makes the project upside down for us even so thanks but no thanks right even though you have all this money dangling right. out in front of us we, right. we can't take advantage of it so so no one wants that to be the outcome so i i think like this being in the bill for the smallest counties is a good idea. Mm -hmm. And it probably is a way to promote equity in participation. Now, 
we'll probably see some conversation as this bill gets attention. I mean, today's the bill hearing, and we're, we're going to hear most attention on the main concepts in the bill. Like we're talking about today, right. you know, floating these revenue bonds based on casino money and finding a bunch of money today and really go. Sure. So that's what the big conversation is going to be about. Like the next couple of weeks are probably – Okay, do the mechanics work? Have we got all the language for Prince George's sorted out? There's some other technical things in the bill that I'm sure are going to get some attention. Sure. Some things Mako has raised and the school boards will raise and so forth. But along the way, I don't know, you know, this, this deal for the smaller jurisdictions, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Are they the only ones who will want it? Or, right. or do we end up seeing a debate about how to make the matching work to bring everybody to the table? I mean, $2.2 billion if you if you drag that out and figure most projects end up being two thirds county funded or more, so you're probably implying something like I don't know five or six billion dollars in county in county funds to match all this is everybody like we don't have our own casino lockbox right. lying around that we can just say well we'll just flip another switch and have a new bonding source right I mean that's part <laughs> of the conversation right yeah. are the counties all ready to put up their share if they have all these projects that are ready. How much cash do the counties have on hand to to take advantage of this new state money, right. this two point two billion dollars? So yeah, I mean, you you just said that seems like it's tilted toward counties in terms of the spending, in terms of the dollars. When you really look at this and you say, well, two point two from the state, what are the counties going to have to come up with to match that? That seems like this could be a way to really ease the burden and make this work for more counties and and for everyone. Yeah, something along these lines. I think has got to come up in this conversation. So, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But again, I mean, if there's a theme here, it's taking a pro, a program that's been successful and effective, but has not quite covered all the ground that we wish it could cover and saying, we're going to put a big, rapid injection into this program, an extra layer. We got a whole team of people with expertise. We're going to grab a whole bunch of money by leveraging these this casino revenues and floating bonds based on it. We're going to fill in the gaps all over the place. And we're going to throw innovation in left and right. And if you want to do P3s, Prince George's, we're going to, we're going to leverage that. Smaller jurisdictions, if you need help on the front cost, we're going to help with that. Mm-hmm. There's a couple other pieces in the bill that we haven't gotten into, but you know, a little extra money for places that have really high growth or lots of relocatable classrooms, another worthy target to put an extra layer into. Identifying the highest need schools and saying, let's target those with a special sort of subsidiary fund. Yes, good idea. Makes sense, right? Right. So so you put all this stuff together and it looks like the result of a big brainstorming exercise. Like if we all care about school construction, like what's a wish list? How do we how do we really crush it and, and knock that's it out exactly of the park. what this is right? that's what it I is mean, yeah, this has been, so this bill is like you take your top 10 ideas and you put them all into the bill overall i think this is transformational i mean obviously it's going to get a lot of attention i think nationwide as we said earlier maryland is already recognized as a leader in how we build our schools but this should be getting a lot of attention and i'm sure a lot of states are watching to see what Maryland is doing and how it plays out. Right. And we've got county leaders at the table testifying in favor of the bill. They're talking about their local projects and needs, their backlogs and so forth. And all of them are basically applauding and saying, great job. Please do this. All right. So we'll leave it there for today. If you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Like the podcast, that way these episodes will be sent directly to you. Also follow along on Twitter and Facebook, and of course the Conduit Street blog. But for now, for Michael Sanderson, Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>